Isn't that good? It is good to be with God and it is good to uh, really connect with Him through worship. And um, something tells me He's been honored and is honored today uh, in His own mind and heart. Uh, just before I begin, I want to uh, just take a, a moment to thank this congregation for the love and the care I've known and my family's known over these few weeks and the passing of my mother. It's uh, honestly been almost overwhelming, the love we've encountered. And, um, you know, it, it just struck me again how remarkable this church is, that um, the love that's here in this, in this group of people for one another. And it's been beautiful. And I, I'm proud of this church, and I celebrate its heart, which is this. The love of God is among us, and we share it together. It's, it's our greatest strength, I think, uh, this capacity for care. Uh, and we've been the recipients of it, so we want to thank you. I want to thank you. Let me pray. <clears throat> Gracious God, you have formed and you are forming a wonderful thing here. Um, by your spirit, you dwell among us. You have called us together uh, and, and we are united in our faith in Jesus. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And uh, God, how good it is to be part of your people. Uh, Lord, our prayer is that you would continue to bless this church and form this church and grow this church. And even as we discuss the church today, we pray that uh, we will know your presence, that gentle voice of God speaking into our minds and into our hearts. Um, do your work among us today, Lord, and bless us. And as we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, on Saturday, I'm going to um, a church in Milton, uh, our, our Presbyterian church there. They've invited me to come and to meet with the elders uh, because they have a problem. Now, you wouldn't think this church is a problem. It's gone in the last, I think, eight years from about 60 people on a Sunday morning to 250. That's an awesome thing, right? God is there. God is blessing. God is at work. But the elders have recognized that they, that they have hit a ceiling a couple of times. They have uh, come to having about 250 people in their Sunday morning service uh, and, and kind of bumped up against that ceiling and then backed off. And then a little later, they have grown and bumped into that ceiling and backed off. And it has happened again. And they're saying, you know, we're doing our best, but we're not quite sure what's going on here. So maybe we need to find somebody who uh, has some experience about getting through that ceiling. So they called me. Because I guess at some point we did. And I hope, <laughs> I hope there was some wisdom in their invitation. And, I, and pray for me on Saturday that I can maybe really help those, uh, those people. Uh, good people, strong ministers, strong uh, biblical understanding of the faith and so forth. And and, and it should be fun to, uh, to work together with them. But I have a secret that I don't know what I'm going to tell them about. And you know what the secret is? We have a ceiling. Did you know that? Our ceiling is about 450. And we have bumped into that ceiling, and we backed off, and we have bumped into that ceiling, and we backed off. And there's something about that number. Somehow, we're just not breaking through. I'm just thinking, who do I call? <laughs> Maybe I should be calling somebody. But here's what, here's what we have realized, and here's what we as elders have done. Focus on the eldership this morning. And an, uh, an election of elders, which we are now, uh, we're inviting you to enter into and, and to discern and pray with us. Uh, and I'll describe that a little more in a minute. 
But we have learned, and we've worked really hard in the last year and a half to kind of get this right, but once a church passes about 350 on a Sunday morning, it enters into a different way of operating. If you would, it's a different animal in terms of structure and, and so forth. And what we have learned is when, when you get to that point, you just have to do things pretty differently. Uh, the way that this church that I'm going to in, in Milton, I mean, the way that it functioned at 150 can't be the way that it functions at 250 if it wants to get to 350. You see where I'm going with this, right? And the way that we function at 250 can't be the same at 350, and it can't be the same at 450. Churches function differently. And whether this is the research, you're 350 or 3,500 or 35,000, and there are such churches, uh, they function in a unique way. And as elders, I myself being part of that group, we have given ourselves to understanding how that, that kind of church functions and, uh, so that we can implement it here so that we can continue to grow. We, we want to break that ceiling as well. And we've done a lot. I, you know, much of it might not be that noticeable to you, but we have really worked hard to give um, great emphasis to the development of our administrative process. We think of it like a foundational reality. Without the foundation, the building can't get built. And Diana Slager, where's Diana? Right here. Done a fan. Come on, big wave. She's our office administrator, and she has done a fantastic job uh, really strengthening the administrative process of this church. And a lot of what was done by volunteers is now going into the office. It just needs to happen. just had to happen, didn't it, Diana? You know that. Um, we, we have also done things like in, uh, envisioning our staff differently. Uh, my role has changed, and we're not completely where we need to be, but my focus needs to be on preaching and the, the, the vision and the future and the direction of this church. I'm spo supposed to be the big picture guy and not to be so involved in the day-to-day -day operations of things. So we have Stan Cox. Where is Stan? Way back. Ah, nobody's going to see you back there. But you all know Stan, and he is now functioning. We brought him in to do pastoral care, and he's now sharing that more with Joyce Degeer Vanderspeck uh, a little bit. Uh, but Stan is now functioning as our executive pastor, along with Rick Mose, who's also volunteering in that role. But Stan is essentially working with the staff, um, and, and, and they report directly to him. So I don't run staff meetings anymore. And, you know, it, it, Stan's kind of taking that group and working with them and enabling them and, and empowering them. Um, and, and so on it goes. We're, we're, we're thinking differently. We're doing things differently. And one of the things that we're looking at right now uh, is the whole role of the elder and of our session, as we call it. Um, we have been blessed by fantastic elders. Do you know that? We are blessed with fantastic elders. Godly people with great commitment and so forth. They have taken us from 70 to the 450 ceiling. Right? It's, it's unbelievable in some ways uh, what has happened. We could not have gotten where we are without it. But some of them have decided to step back. Bill and Nancy Chesney. They said, when we're 80, we're done. And they've been doing this for decades. They're both 80. And they're going, okay, come on, guys. Like, what's going on here? <laughs> so they're, they're, they feel it's time to step down. Barb Yonchar, who has uh, been an elder for a long time and, and, and been on staff for a long time, she's stepping back. We're recognizing maybe a staff person shouldn't be on the governing body of the church, and, and Barb is willing to do that. Um, and, and, and so we are looking to elect four elders in the next month or month and a half uh, as we work through a process that I'll describe to you. But here's my point to you. This is a really critical thing for the future of our church. And we need to go to God. We need to say, Lord, how is it that you, you give us guidance and direction uh, as, we, as we move forward from where we're at? Um, now, think about this question. We're probably a church of, if everybody was here on one given Sunday, of maybe 600 people. We're not quite sure of the number, but it's around that. <clears throat> how do we go from a church of 600 people to 1,000 people? 
Or if you want to say 1,500 people, go ahead, because we want to think big. But how do you get to that? How do, how do you function in the way that will provide for that kind of growth? We want to see people come to Jesus. We want to see people's lives transformed in Christ. We want to see the people of God be so passionate about the things of Jesus that we go out into this world and, and love the needy and the broken and the kingdom of God come. If you've been here for any length of time, you know this. How do we get there? Well, part of the scenario, obviously, as some elders step aside, is bringing new elders on. We want 12 in total, three are ordained, and ordained ministers are always on our session. And we're going to have nine elders, uh, otherwise ruling elders, they're called. And I want to take you to a passage of Scripture today that I think will be really helpful to us. And as I invite you into this process, we will be inviting you over the next couple of Sundays to nominate people uh, for election uh, that you feel are appropriate. That's what this sermon's about. Who's appropriate? What are the biblical guidelines, directions, standards, and so forth? And following that, then we will have an election. And following that, the elders will do what in our church is required is that they will discern before God who they will, whom they will ordain. They're not bound by the election. It's not pure democracy here, just so you're aware. Um, and through this process, we seek to know the mind of God. This is not, you know, we're not going to have nominees like, uh, like, uh, like the election we just had with placards and vote for me kind of thing. Uh, 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 uh. It's not about popularity and who you like. This is about the mind of God and us as a congregation discerning that mind so that we get this right. So let's go to scripture. That's where we always go, isn't it? That's what we need to do. Numbers chapter 11. Now, if you were here on Thanksgiving, I spoke from Numbers chapter 11. Remember the sermon about the Israelites in the desert and, and you know, God has blessed them incredibly, but they started to complain? Anybody remember? Oh, man. <laughs> if that's all it remembers, I'm going home. You know? <laughs> I really like that sermon. I thought that was a good sermon. Anyway. But um, <clears throat> I'll set the scene for you then in a little more detail. Uh, the Israelites have been freed from slavery in Egypt. Uh, God has acted in those powerful ways, those miracles to convince Pharaoh, let them go, get them out of here. And off they go. Then he comes after them and he's ready to, to destroy, but God defeats their enemy. They have no enemy anymore at the Red Sea. The waters cover them and they're gone. There's no one to oppress them. There's no one to harm them. And, and, and they're in a new place. And God has done so much. He's taken them to Sinai. He's given them the Ten Commandments. He's entered into covenant relationship with his people. He has said to them, I will be your God and you will be my people. And, and, and I will love you and I will provide for you and I will be good to you and I will bless you. And he had in so many ways. And they said, okay, we will be your people. We will love you and we will serve you and we will worship you and we will obey you. You know, this, this, this agreement, this deep, powerful, life-changing agreement had been formed between the Israelites and, 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 and God Almighty. And so they had carried on, and, and they came to this place uh, in Numbers 11 where, you know, God's even giving them their food. They don't have to grow it. They don't have to buy it. It's just there for them to pick up and eat. It's incredible, but they're unhappy because they don't have meat. And of course, if you want to know more of that sermon, you go back a couple of weeks and listen to it on the web, okay? But in the midst of this discussion, which God, by the way, is not happy, he disciplines them after this because I've blessed you like this. You have rejected me and you're, uh, and you're complaining and you're unthankful for what I've given to you. And uh, he, he acts in a, in a loving but firm way. But in the middle of this passage in, in Numbers chapter 11, there's this interaction between Moses and God that we're going to look at today. Um, Moses too complains. What's so interesting is that God doesn't discipline him. 
God responds with compassion and provision. Because what Moses is complaining about and is unhappy about, God's also unhappy about. <laughs> He's, he, you know, he has a little pity party in a minute, and I'm going to read this passage to you, and you'll see how many times he says, I and me, and so on. But in spite of all of that, God recognizes, you know, he's right, and he needs help, and I'm going to help him. And eldership is part of this discussion. So let me read this to you uh, and, and see what God and, uh, and Moses uh, come out with together. Numbers 11, verses 10 to 15. Moses heard all the families in the doorway of their tents whining. I kind of like that. I just like that the, the translator used that word. And the Lord became extremely angry. Moses was also very aggravated. And Moses said to the Lord, why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? It's like, God, come on. Come on. Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? He's sort of saying, I didn't, but you did. Right? This is your problem. Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them to the land you swore to give their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep whining to me saying, give us meat to eat. And God had already told them, I'm going to give you meat. And there are hundreds of thousands of people. And goes, Moses is going like, how do I do that? I can't, that's beyond me. It's impossible to give them meat. All right, next verse. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. Wow. This is how, if this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. <laughs> it's, it's like, put an end to this right now, God, because I'm just not into this. I didn't sign up for this. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. <laughs> oh, boy. Leadership and ministry is just a, a blast, people, I got to tell you. There are times. There are times. See, what is going on here is that the, the weight of leadership is crushing this man. His heart is right. He, he, he has responded to the call of God. He's wanting to do his best for him. But as he says in verse 14, I can't carry all, all these people by myself. The load is too heavy to carry. Let me suggest this to you. And I, hope, I want you to start already to make a connection to where we ha are, where we've been. Moses is exercising a leadership style as if he's leading just a few people. But all of a sudden, he's got hundreds of thousands of people at a minimum. And the, the, the leadership style which he has engaged is not sufficient for the size of the task. And he needed to change the way he led. We've been through this a little bit. We have. And this is what we're discovering, and we're going to God, and we're saying, God, lead us also. Show us the way. Help us to know how. Then we come to these key verses, verses 16 and 17, and I want you to listen to them. Says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, gather before me 70 men who are recognized as elders and leaders of Israel. We're going to think about that sentence. Bring them to the tabernacle, a word which just means tent, the tent where God dwelt, to stand there with you. I will come down and talk to you there. I will take some of the spirit that is upon you and I will put the, the spirit upon them also. They will bear the burden of the people along with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. Several salient points which emerge out of these verses. Number one, in, in the plan of God, in the kingdom of God, leadership is a corporate reality. What I mean by that is that leadership is, is a shared task in the kingdom of God. 
There is no place, not all denominations agree with this, I, I don't think, but there is no place for a spiritual dictator to, to function in a congregation like ours. There's no place for an individual to call all the shots and to have all the power, if you would. But according to the biblical teaching, a group of people is to be chosen and appointed by God to lead together. Bring them to the tabernacle to stand there with you. It's a beautiful picture of how God intends leadership to function among his people. The idea that one do it is not there. The idea that many do it together is exactly where we hang our hat as a church. I am not the leader of this congregation. There is a group called the Session. It's the elders when they meet in session. That's how they get the name Session. They just come together and corporately we lead the church. Decisions are made together before God as God empowers and enables and as God leads. Then I want to pop up verse 16. This, this uh, significant verse which I've just read, read to you. Gather before me 70 men, and we recognize now in the New Testament women were empowered and are empowered to lead, who, rec- who are recognized as elders and leaders of Israel. Point number two. Bring to me people who are already recognized among the people of God, among this group of people called Israel, who are recognized and understood already as leaders in the body. They are already recognized as elders within the group of people that God has formed. See, what, Moses is, what God is telling Moses is, look for those people and select them who are, have already led and who are leading Look for those people who have shown faithfulness to God and his people. Look for those people who have taken responsibility and have proved themselves as people who are gifted for leadership and who are capable of it and have been effective in it. Now, what I hope already is beginning to happen in the minds of the people of God who are beginning, I hope, to discern and hear who are those people among us who could potentially be nominated, elected, and ordained to leadership. See, Moses, what, what God is telling Moses is, you know, don't take someone who's never led before. Don't, don't you know, this is not an entry-level job, God's telling Moses. This is a big task. This is a big responsibility. This is a challenge. Look for those people who have embraced, you know, ministry in this church and who have taken hold of the vision and who have shown themselves and proved themselves already to be capable for the task. Anyone come to mind? Um... See, my friends, we've got to get before God and we've got to be prayerful. We have got to be thoughtful, we have got to be discerning, and we've got to say, Lord, who are those people among us? Who has proven themselves already for the task that is to come for them? God says, uh, you know, bring them to the tabernacle. And and, and it's an amazing thing in, in, in verse 17, if we can show that now. These 70 people will, like Moses, have the Spirit of God given to them to lead to enable them for the task that they will have before them, to empower them, if you would, and to unite them together as one. People with a shared heart and a shared mind for the Lord and for what God desires to do among us. You know, he he is saying, let's create this group of people, do you see it, who will be impacted and changed by my spirit, and then then they'll be able to lead in unity with a passion for Jesus, with a common understanding of the purpose of this church, with a common vision for what this church is all about. And if you don't know our vision, I just keep saying it, but we want to connect people to Jesus. We want people who don't know Christ to come to know him. And there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people in Oxford County who don't know Christ. We want to be instrumental in this, and we want to see our effectiveness in this area grow. 
And then our second statement, connect people to Jesus deep in the faith. We want people to come to faith but not stay baby Christians, not stay, stay, stay superficial in their understanding of faith. We want them to dig into Scripture and to study Scripture and to know it deeply in their lives and in their hearts. And we want that Scripture to transform their lives so that they become like Christ himself, a transformational experience of God through his word. And then the last part of our vision statement is then to change the world. It is such people who will change the world. You know that. Because we literally will become like Jesus. Ever heard this before here, IPC? Yeah, you have. But we don't want to stay in the holy huddle enjoying one another as good as it is. <laughs> we have to huddle, but not all the time. We want to get out into the world, and we want to be salt, and we want to be light. We want to see this world changed by the power of God's Spirit working in and through us so that the kingdom of God comes in power. That's our vision. And my friends, I want to tell you, the Spirit of God, you know, settling upon and enabling some people, I want to say not who are willing to say, oh yeah, I like that vision, let me be part of it. It's some people who have heard this vision and it has captured their lives and they have dived into the ministry of this church and into the vision of this church and they are being used already to transform this world. In the lives of the people of this congregation, anyone coming to mind? Anyone coming to mind? And then it says this. So you, um, they will bear the burden of the people along with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. Listen to me, this is telling in a lot of ways, but I want to tell you something. Uh, being an elder is not an easy thing at times. It is a hard thing. I will tell you at times it's a painful thing. I think of the elders that we've had for many, many years, some of them now stepping back. There have been seasons in the life of this church. This is a wonderful, wonderful church, but things happen. They have persevered through heartache, and I deeply, deeply respect and admire every single one of them for what they have done. They have been faithful to God and the calling God gave them to to, but I want to, and I want to be, I want to be open and honest with any potential nominees. Some folks might approach you in the next couple of weeks and say, "Would you be willing to serve? Would you will it be willing to not be nominated and so forth?" It's, it's it's great, but it's not always great. Sometimes it's a burden. Sometimes it's hard. But the reality is, my friends, the reality is, while the responsibility and sometimes the challenges are great, the reality is too that people of godliness and people of character and people who are living in unity with one another and in, in, empowered and inspired by the Spirit can together accomplish great things as leaders of this church, and they will again. So, you know, we need people who, who have embraced the vision, people who have proven themselves to us already, people who are faithful and steadfast, and we know that as they have been in the past, again, they will be in the future. I want to imply that this is the only passage in Scripture that talks about the qualities, if you would, of a leader. I want to take you to some other ones now. I've included them in this handout that you've been given. Where is that handout? Texts on the sermon notes section. I'm sure you all take notes and you know exactly what this is. I've written, I'm going to read some of them to you today, just quickly, just to kind of fill out the picture a little bit. Will we take that home and study these passages in these weeks? And will, will you, through them, allow God to lead you and guide you? about potentially nominating and then ultimately electing by, by ballot uh, individuals. But let me take you just briefly, and then we'll come back to Numbers 11, to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. I could spend a whole Sunday in each of these, but I just want you to hear 
some of the coaching about who might be an elder in the church from Peter and then from, uh, um, from Luke and from Titus, Paul to Titus. And now a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, and I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. That's kind of like an invitation to somebody to maybe become an elder. <laughs> wow, to share in that glory, huh? As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, and here it is. Next verse, please. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Man, there's a challenge already. Who can care for you as the flock? Who can give you that leadership in a caring, loving, compassionate way? Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. We need such people who are passionate to serve God because they've been called and gifted to do so. Who are they? Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. Two powerful points. We don't need control freaks in the eldership. <laughs> we need people who will lead, and they'll really lead, but they'll do it with a servant heart and with a humble heart. And then lead them by your what? Own good example. We need to be able to look at some folks and say, there's a person of godliness. There's a person that I want to be like. There's a person who has matured in faith to the point that they are ready to lead this church. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. Wow. What a, what a promise. What an opportunity. Let me take you to uh, Titus chapter 1, verse 5 to 9. Another similar passage. I left you on the island of Crete so you could complete your work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. Central to the understanding of church. An elder must live a blameless life. And some people might go, oh, yikes. <laughs> What does that mean? I want to tell you, it's not perfect. It doesn't say live a perfect life, because that's not possible. But a blameless life, what that means is there can be nothing particularly on the negative side of things that characterizes their lives. And then this gets played out. He must be faithful to his wife. In other words, not open to the charge of unfaithfulness, husband or wife. His children must be believers. And this is little kids, by the way, in the home and so forth. His children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. In another passage, Paul says, if you can't manage little kids, you're not going to be able to manage a church, right, and lead them effectively. For an elder must live a blameless life. There it is again. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. Rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home, hospitable. He must love what is good. Isn't that cool? Love what is good. He must live wisely and be just. He must live a devout and disciplined life. He must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. He's got to believe the right stuff. The orthodox biblical faith. Then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it where they are wrong. Gently be able to influence the lives of other people in the right direction. Anyone coming to mind? Hope so. Let's read a passage from Acts um, chapter 20 starting at verse uh, 28, just a short passage. So guard yourselves as God's, and God's people. He's writing to elders. He's saying goodbye to the elders in Ephesus, and this is the message. Guard yourselves and God's people. There's a, there's a need to guard God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. Who makes this decision? God does. But I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. 
I mean, this, this is a passage that's sort of ominous almost. But one of, the role of, one of the roles of the eldership is to deal with those people who may come among us who would bring harm to the well-being of the congregation. You know, something going on internally, something that's not right, conflict, etc., etc. Who's going to rise up and deal with that if it's not the leadership of the church? The elders would have to deal with that. Anyone coming to mind? Someone who's not afraid to deal with conflict? Someone who can deal with it graciously and lovingly, but who will protect you as the people of God here from those who might seek to destroy us? You see, my friends, take the passages, study the scripture. I'm inviting you into a time of discernment over this next month so that we might be led by God. Final thought, back to Romans chapter, sorry, Numbers chapter 11. Implicit in the passage very clearly is that these people who are being appointed as, as, as elders with Moses are leading a large group of people, at a minimum hundreds of thousands of people. It's big. Let me say this to you again. IPC is no longer a small church. It's not. It's a different animal. It's bigger. It functions differently. Um, the role of the elder at IPC now, we've, we've been clearly instructed and we have clearly learned, is to, to, to have the big picture perspective on the church. And considering where we're at right now, say, God, where do you want us to go? It's really about vision. It's discerning the vision that God has for us so that we can bring before the congregation the next step, if you would, to lead us forward to, to new and fabulous ways of being the church in, in the Lord Jesus. And then it is to create these policies and guidelines for us all to follow. Um, uh, then when that, that vision and those guidelines are established is to pick it up, if you would, and take it over to the staff and say, okay, now make it a reality. Along with those dozens and dozens and dozens of people, hundreds of people in this church serve with staff, right? The elders discern the vision in an ongoing fashion and they give it to the staff and then everybody else goes, make, goes to make it happen. But here's the point. It is not for the elders to do. It is for the elders to discern. The role of the elder is to be an elder, and we've had some coaching in this. And what we have learned is that we've got to stop ma ma micromanaging and we have to macro-management. Some of you will totally get this because of experience and so forth. We had a fellow from Lakeshore St. Andrews. That's the church that Chuck Congram, who spoke here last week and has often spoken here, uh, retired from a few years ago. Uh, 32 years prior to Chuck's retirement, uh, he was asked uh, to, to become a minister in a small church in Tecumseh. And the presbytery, the governing body, said to him, Chuck, go in there and close this church for us. It's dying. It's time has come to an end. Uh, help them to end well. So Chuck said, okay. <laughs> he went in, and God began to work. 32 years later, Chuck led a church on a Sunday morning of 1,200 people, a lot of people. He managed somehow to grow the church and to figure out what that looked like in all different stages. We had an elder from Chuck's church come. Uh, to uh, speak to his name, John Ferguson, uh, as a session, as elders. And he said this, this very point, you can't micromanage anymore, you've got to give it away and, and, and you know, empower these people to do the job, unless they step out of line, you know, according to the policies that have been established, then you need to intervene financially or morally or whatever the case might be. But he, he gave us a little phrase that has stuck with us, I suppose one of many, but he said, nose is in and hands off. Know what's going on, but don't touch it. You know, you stay before God. You be people of prayer and of discernment. You be people who, who are so connected to the Lord that he's able to give leadership to you because he's the ultimate leader, right? He's the shepherd. 
It's his church, Jesus. And, and as we hear from him, as we are people of, of, of scripture and of prayer and of discernment, then he will take us forward in terms of defining that vision and staff and so, uh, with volunteers will make it happen. That's where we're at right now. Uh, noses in and hands off. Here's my point to you, my friends. We need strategic thinkers on our session. And we are explicitly asking you to nominate and elect um, people who are big picture thinkers. People who can have that, they call it the 30,000 foot view of what's going on at IPC. Not caught up in the day-to-day -day operations. We have wonderfully gifted people to do that. And we need to give accountability and so forth. And we do. But people who are just going to live in that place and think strategically about how to make this place thrive. And we believe with, 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 with these new four elders coming onto our session, that for us, the future of IPC is it's going to be incredible. Like, God's not done with us yet, right? We've come a long way, but we can go so much farther, and we will, God willing. As these people are filled with God's Spirit, enabled and empowered and united, and then as the people who are implementing the vision do the same. What was the end result for Moses and the people of Israel. What was the big picture view there that they had to hold on to? Well, you know, the big picture was God saying, you got to go from slavery to the promised land. <laughs> that was the challenge of leadership, you know? And, 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 and that's, that's where they went. Not only did, I should say, Moses end up with peace of mind so that the task was as much as a, a joy as anything else, sometimes a burden, but not primarily. But also, what happened is that God took these people under this leadership, ultimately, not without challenge, to a place of inhabiting the promised land. In that place, God's people ultimately produced Jesus, who ultimately died on the cross and rose to new life so that the world might find salvation in him and ultimately so that the kingdom of God might come in power. And I want to tell you, my friends, we're still part of that last piece of the puzzle. Through this church, God wants to move so that the kingdom of God comes in power. And someday Jesus is going to come back as we do this task. He's going to come back at the time of his choosing. And then the kingdom of God will come and it'll cover the face of this earth. And everyone will know who Christ Jesus is. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, as Philippians says, who the Lord is. And the will of God will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's happening. It's going to happen. You know, hear the songs we sung today? You know, we have the victory already. We just have to persist until we know it in its fullness. And we as a church have the task of participating in that creation of the kingdom of God. So my friends, I, 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 this is a call to the people of this church. Uh, I asked you to pray earlier about our staffing positions. Now I'm asking you to pray about this and to be diligent in it. I'm asking you to study scripture, this uh, numbers passage as well as others. And there are, of course, other, other ones that I didn't list there. But go to God and say, Lord, who might I nominate? We'll have nomination papers available next Sunday. Uh, we're inviting three people to sign a nomination after you've approached the person you wish to nominate and know that they want nominated, okay? Um, and we'll have paper, nomination papers available for two Sundays to that end. And then a few weeks after that, I'm a little reluctant to say the date, but I think it's the first Sunday in December. Um, any elder could confirm that for me if they wished but, uh, from our discussion the other night. But we will have an election. Following that, the elders will make their determination under God. And following that, I would suggest early in the new year, we'll have an ordination service for four new elders for IPC. What I'm talking about is our future. Leadership is critical. 
us knowing how to do this right according to the size of our church is a big deal, and we think we're getting that right. And together, my friends, we have a future under God. Will you pray with us? Will you discern with us? Will you seek the face of God uh, as we take this critical step together moving forward in the Lord? Let's pray. Lord, just as you have a youth worker and a worship leader for us, we don't know them yet, so you have four elders for us. Um, people of godliness, of character, people whose lives uh, just are an example to us all. People, Lord, who have a track record, people who have shown themselves faithful, they've, they, they, they've shown themselves capable. And Lord God, my prayer is that you will guide the minds of the people of our congregation, um, that they will know uh, who to nominate and who to vote for. Um, Lord, lead in this process. It's, it's not about popularity. It's not about anything other than us ultimately knowing your mind, our Father. And we pray for that knowledge. We pray for it. Lord, whether the elders are older or younger, whether they're men, whether they're women, we just pray that in the end, your will will be done. So guide us. Um, speak to us. Show us, Lord, uh, your plan, your purpose, that we might end up exactly where you would have us be. We thank you, Father, for um, this church. We thank you for what you have done. We thank you for what you are doing. And we thank you, our God, for what you yet will do among us. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, would you